Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. I will be reading from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Beginning with verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Shira, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this living water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers and will worship with Father, with, excuse me, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers 
the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Would you pray with me? Father God, our prayer is that the word that we have just heard read will be made clear and plain, Father, and applicable to our lives. God, I thank you that your word has stood the test of time. And I thank you, God, that today we are invited to hear your word yet again, fresh and applied to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we have uh, a lot to, to, to get through this morning, and I am excited. If you're joined with us for the first time today, you stepped into a great week. We are in the midst of, uh, the, the, um, of a sermon series on the Gospel of John, and so we're here in chapter 4. And uh, this is, you know, God's timing is just always right on time. Um, as I think about it, you know, we didn't pre-plan that we would be in chapter 4 today, but God did. And so uh, as he lined up all the other pieces of today, it's ironic to me that we're in chapter four, which is one of the stories that we often look to when we're trying to figure out how to, um, how to bridge the gaps and the divides that are created based on ethnic diversity. And, uh, and yet, here we are today, John chapter four, we just heard it read. And so this morning, if you're trying to think about, well, well pastor, what are you going to tell us today, or where are we going to go with this today? Um, the, the title says a lot of what we're going to say today. That we're asking that God would well up in us a, uh, a spring of living water, a, a, a refreshment of living water, a, 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 a fresh flow of water that would last forever. So I hope you're with me. Let's get into it. John chapter 4. Look at verse uh, 3 with me. I'll start in verse 2, but look at verse 3. It says, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was doing the baptizing, it was the disciples. And the word, then the word says in, in, in verse 4, it says, now, or so, Jesus, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Let me help paint a picture for you real quick. Um, Galilee and Judea look about like this on a map. They're basically directly one above the other with a whole lot of space in between them. And if you're looking on a map and you look at the bottom, you say, okay, there is uh, Judea. And you look at the top and say, okay, there is Galilee. And Jesus is going from one place to the other. What is the natural way to get from one place to the other? A straight line. The shortest distance between two points, mom. There you go. <laughs> I never forgot that. She told me that when I was a kid. Shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So boom to boom, the natural way to go is that. Now I want to help you understand some, some cultural background, right? So, um, there was absolutely no reason, let me say it again, there was absolutely no reason that would make sense to a practicing Jew to ever go through Samaria. I'll say it again because it is that intense. There was absolutely no reason for a practicing Jew that would make sense for them to go through Samaria. There was a lot of reasons in their mind why they would not do that. And they would go as far as all the way to the outskirts of the land to get around Samaria. You would never walk, as a practicing Jew, you would never walk from Judea to Galilee through Samaria. 
So you can imagine the journey going something like this. The disciples are hanging out with Jesus, and they're seeing what John and his disciples are doing. And the disciples come back to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I don't know what to do about this. That John guy, he's doing all the baptizing around here. And there's a little, there's a little spirit of like, hmm, we'll call that spiritual envy. There's a little bit of like, hmm. Jesus, now you're on the scene. Shouldn't you be taking over that? Like, put John back in his place. Now, we know from chapter 3 that John was willing to take a back seat. John actually says in chapter 3, he says, I must decrease that Jesus will increase, right? And so we know that he's willing to do that. But, but the disciples are like, Jesus, 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 I don't know about this. Everybody is going to that John guy. We're sitting out here trying to baptize, and there's not enough people coming to us because he's got all the crowds. Jesus figuring out how to respond in a way that Jesus would, he says, okay, well, let's get on the road. Let's just get on the road. The Bible says, so, because of that, so, Jesus left, and he went to Galilee. So he, he, he looks back to his disciples, all right, guys, let's let John keep doing what John is doing here, because what John is doing is good. It's right. Understand this. What John was doing what his disciples were doing is they were baptizing. That was a good thing. The church was celebrating. I know we would never do this, but sometimes churches have what, what I call spiritual envy. You say, you know, the parking lot at that other church is full. We had a couple empty spots this week. And you get a little bit of spiritual envy, and you look around and say, look, the pews are pretty full, but there's a couple of spots that are empty. You get a little, maybe they go, you know, you get a little spiritual jealousy going on there, right? So the disciples are having a little bit of that, and Jesus says, like in all things, let's create a teachable moment here. We're going to go for a long walk, a long walk. This is probably a couple-day walk, right? We're going to go on a couple-day walk. And, uh, and, and the disciples are probably thinking to themselves, all right, well, anything to get away from John and those guys, we'll find some other people. We can get back to our business. We can get back to the business of baptizing people and, and telling people what, how, how, they could, how they could turn to Jesus. And this would be a good thing. So they follow along, and everybody starts moving in the right direction. And they're on this long journey. Now, look, the disciples are bold, and they're proud, and, 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 and you know, they got a little bravado about them. And so they're walking along, and they're beginning to whisper to one another, saying, hey, um, we're getting dangerously close to that Samaria place. For those who aren't familiar with biblical story of why this would have made sense, the, the Samaria place was, was the place of the half-breed. That's what they called it. They called it the place of the half-breed. It was a place where people began to live together who were Jews, uh, who were of Jewish and Gentile descent, right? And so a Jew and a Gentile, they marry together, and they have a child, and that child is now of Jewish and Gentile descent, right? Now, the Jews never accepted them because they weren't full-blooded Jews. And the Gentiles never accepted them because they were always a little bit, you're always a little bit too good for us, right? You, you, you've got that covenant promise that we don't have. And so they, were, they weren't a part of the Jews, they weren't accepted by the Jews, and they weren't accepted by the Gentiles, and they kind of just began to, 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 to do life together. They were the Samaritans. They were a people group of half-breeds. And so everybody kind of looked at them a little bit cross-eyed, like, you don't really fit with us. And it was so divided that the Jewish people just said, I just won't go there. I will go all the way around to not go there. So they're walking along, and you can imagine the disciples saying, where is he taking us? Where? There's a different route. There's a beaten path this way that we should be walking on. But he seems to be blazing his own trail right here. And we know what's straight ahead. 
But no, none of the disciples could step up and say, hey, Jesus, where do you think you're going? I mean, he's Jesus, right? And so you just kind of follow along. You just like, oh, I don't know what we're getting into, but I'm glad Jesus will find a way to get us out of it. And so they're on their way, and they get to the place. And the Bible says that they get to the, to the center of town. They get to the well. And we all know the well. It's the famous one. It's Jacob's well. They get to Jacob's well. And, and, and Jesus sits down. They're on a long walk, and the Bible says, well, Jesus decides he needs to take a rest. And the disciples leave to go into town. Did you hear everything I just said coming up to this? Did you hear everything I said coming up to this? And then the scripture says the disciples left to go into town. Somehow on this journey, something that Jesus said to the disciples helped their minds go from, I can't ever go to that place, to say, you know what, I'll go into town. This was a big deal. We gloss right over that when we read this text. But it was a big deal. They're following Jesus. That Something morphed in them that they said, you know what? I'm willing to go not only there. I'm willing to go into the center of that. I'm willing to, I'm willing to get in. But we understand from the text that part of the reason why this is happening is so that Jesus could have this encounter. I want to say this to start with. I believe that Jesus had an appointment. Number one, I believe that Jesus had an appointment. I believe that's true for Jesus, but also believe that that's true for you and for me. I believe that God lines up divine appointments. We don't know it when it's coming up, but we find ourselves in it. I'll help you understand so that you can believe it too. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you're like, after that conversation was over, you didn't foresee it coming. You know, you're, you're sitting on a train and next to you, you're somebody else and you just started talking. Man, it was such a good conversation. By the end of that conversation, you're like, this is like a BFF, you know, like this is it. And, or, you know, maybe, maybe you walked into work and you were just having an awful day and you saw your boss and you're like, this is going to get worse. And your boss has just heaps praises on you. And you're like, wow, where did that come from? Or, you know, you know, something happened. It was just completely out of the ordinary that you didn't orchestrate. But when you look back, you were like, that was amazing. That's a divine appointment. That's God showing up in the midst of everything else. And it happens to us all the time. Oftentimes, we overlook it or we say something like, oh, that was, uh, what, what's that word, like, um, coincidental or, you know, that, you know, that was, like, super cool, but, you know, like, we don't, we don't attribute it to God. I want to say that, that God shows up on appointment in our lives at just the right time. At just the right time, God shows up on appointment in our lives. We see it here. So Jesus walks to the middle of town. He sits down. The disciples go into town to get some food, which is kind of ironic because Jesus is going to talk about everything that sustains us. And they go into town to get some food, and Jesus is sitting at the well. He knows what's about to happen. The gal comes up. She's only known as the Samaritan woman. She comes up, and she begins to dip for some water. And just before she does, Jesus says, hey, you know, I'm sitting here for a reason. I mean, think about this. He's sitting next to the well. You can picture it. You can picture, right, the well's there. He's kind of leaning against it. He looks like he's been walking for a long time because, indeed, he has been walking for a long time. And so he's looking really tired, and he sees the woman coming over. He's like, hey, what are you going to do here? And she's like, I'm getting water. It's a well. That's what you do. And he says, you, what do you think about getting me some? And she is so taken back. She says, aren't you a Jew? Why are we even having this conversation? She is so culturally entrenched that she's like, this isn't supposed to happen. You, somebody like you would never talk to somebody like me. 
And then the crickets. As you wait for what is just a moment, but it feels like an eternity for Jesus to respond. And he doesn't deny what she says. He just shifts it on its head. You're, you're right. Culturally, the divide is that big. But I'm here for a bigger reason than that. You see, if you knew who I was and why I was asking you, what I was asking you, you would ask me for something instead. But on a very practical sense, he had nothing to give her. His hands were empty, and he was asking her for water. And she's like, well, if I were to ask you for something, you'd have to borrow my, my cup in order for you to fetch the water to begin with. So that doesn't make any sense there, buddy. And Jesus, as only Jesus can, shows up just in time at the right time for the appointment that the Father has set. And he says to her that he has something to give her both physically and spiritually. You see, she's been, she, Jesus, Jesus is asking for a physical water to be drawn out, but, but what he has to give her is not just something that will take care of her need in that moment, but it will take care of satisfying a spiritual need that she might not even understand she has yet. So what happens in this moment, if you got, if you got your Bibles open, look with me in verse 10. I want to get going here. In verse 10 it says, Jesus answers her, if you knew the... Oh, come on, somebody else has their Bible. You got to answer that. If you knew the... The gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, Jesus is identifying something special in this moment. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked me, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. See, this living water is indeed the gift of God that Jesus is talking about. He's saying that I have something that is greater than the water that you're fetching. I have something that'll satisfy that moment, but it'll also satisfy your eternal moments. Jesus says, if you knew the gift, well, what is the gift? Jesus. I hope you're with me today. Jesus is the gift of God. Jesus is saying, it's a dual layer thing. He said, if you knew the gift of God, that's the water that he's going to offer her, but it's also who he is. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was sitting in front of you, if you knew that I came as a direct appointment from God, that I am in this moment because God sent me here, that I am in your presence because God ordained this moment, that I am in front of you to give you something that you could never get on your own. Sure, you can fetch water, and it'll take care of the thirst you have right now, but what if I told you what I have for you would take care of not just this moment, but all of your moments ahead of you? Would that satisfy what you need? Would you understand the gift of God that is being offered? Would you understand that I am indeed the gift of God appointed to you in this moment? That's Jesus sitting in front of her, talking about being the gift of God that she would need. Do you understand the gift of God? Not like, a, did you ever pray a prayer to accept Jesus to be your Lord? But do you understand the gift of God? Do you understand that this is the gift of God? Do you understand that the things we attested to this morning when we talked about believing in the risen Savior is the gift of God? But if we only understand the gift of God to be this, to be the work on the cross and the resurrection that came, but we don't understand the gift of God to be present in our lives, then we think of the gift of God being something that satisfied a previous moment and something that will take care of us when we die. But we think about all this life in between, and we think, oh, I've got to handle that on my own. Oh, somebody got to get this. 
We think, if we think of the gift of God as being the work on the cross and the resurrection that will happen someday, we think of Jesus taking care of sin, and we think of Jesus taking care of once I die and close my eyes, but I got this whole life to live in between, and we think that we got to handle that on our own. Now, we might never say it that way, but Jesus is leaning against the well, and you and I are fetching some water, and he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, if you only understood the gift of God, then you would turn to me and you would ask me and I would satisfy all your needs. I would give you everything you needed. I would take care of you today and your tomorrow and your eternity. That's what Jesus is saying to the woman at the well. That's what Jesus is offering the woman at the well. And she needs to decide and you need to decide and I need to decide how I'll respond to the gift of God. Yes, this was a gift and praise God for it. And yes, when this body is done and I get to be with God forever, that will be a gift. But I dare say to you, I can't live a day without understanding the gift that God has for me that day. Otherwise, I live that day on my own accord, and I fall short of the will of the Father. I hope you're getting this today. 13, Jesus answers to her, everyone who drinks this water gets thirsty again. By the way, I understand thirst right now. Maybe you've understood thirst before too. Maybe you just had that moment where cotton mouth was happening, right? You just had that moment where you was like, if I don't get some water, I think I might just fall over, right? It might be it. It might be all it wrote. But, but Jesus says, there, you don't understand. Like, you can get some water real quick. Fetch it out. That's what he asked her for originally, right? That's what he was asking. He asked her for some water, right? He said, he said woman, can I have some water, right? But we don't all get thirsty. And Jesus had been on the He was thirsty. He was literally thirsty. But even if he got some water right then, you know what was going to happen in a little while? He was going to be thirsty again. He was going to be thirsty again. I don't run, but I imagine if I did, I would get thirsty. Those of you who run can attest to that. And I'll pass you a cup of water. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst again. Well, is that true? Let me ask you in a very literal sense. Is that true? Come on, speak back to me, somebody. Is it true? Is it, nobody wants to say no because it's in the Bible. You're like, I got, it's got to be true. It's in the Bible. So, yeah, it is a trick question from the pastor. I get it. I mean, it, it is true, but at the same time, I mean, in, a, in a literal sense, it's, there, there's, there's a little bit of a stretch here, right? Like, don't, don't, don't look at me and say he, he's, you know, heresy or something like that. I, it, it's true. The Word of God is true. But get this. He was moving from a very physical place to a spiritual place, right? She was going to still need to come back the next day and get some water. Right? She, she still needed to fetch water. She was not only fetching water for herself, she was fetching water for, for, for her, whole, her whole community, her, her household, whatever that would look like. Matter of fact, it, was, it got really confusing about her household there at the end of the story anyway. So she was probably fetching water for a whole lot of people, if you follow what I'm saying without going too deep today. So she was fetching some water. She was going to have to come back tomorrow at noon and fetch some more water. And she was going to have to come back the next day at noon and fetch some more water, and the next day at noon and fetch some more water. But when Jesus said, oh, oh, I can give you water to make you never thirst again, what did she think about? What did she think? Oh, if you can give me that water, I won't have to come back here tomorrow. Oh, then tell me about that water. Tell me about that water. See, Jesus had moved from here to here. He had moved from this, like, like the very practical, to the forever, the, the, the supernatural, the, the eternal, the, 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 the conversation that you have when you're in the presence of God. And Jesus said, no, 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 lady, you don't get it, lady. Yeah, you're going to be thirsty again, but you'll never be thirsty again. But all she understood in this moment is that she was thirsty. 
I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments with God where God kind of wrecked your mind a little bit. You started to, you read something, you listen to something, you heard something, you experienced something. You're like, man, God blows my mind, like epiphany kind of moment. Like, this is bigger than I anticipated this conversation to be. And, and, and if you've ever had one of those moments, do you understand what's about to happen here with the lady at the well? Like, she's going to have a moment where she's going to step outside of her experience, and, and she's going to be invited into something that was bigger than she understood in that moment. And so it goes on. She says, sir, then give me some of that water so I won't get thirsty again, and I won't have to keep coming back here. And you see, Jesus does not respond to that, right? You see that, right? Come on, somebody follow the text with me. Jesus does not respond to that. He now says, he says, well, let's talk about your husband for a minute. Now, where did that come from? I, how did you, Jesus, we were just talking about water and being thirsty. And you just told me, you just said, like, hey, um, go, go call your husband. Let's talk to him, too. Jesus, you just moved the conversation to a whole new place. I thought we were just talking about the fact that I was thirsty. Where are you going here? Well, Jesus is going to help her move along in the conversation. And maybe something like this has happened for you, too. Maybe at some point you've had that epiphany or that revelation. or You've had this moment where, where, where something was bigger than what you had anticipated. But now you're like, I'm overwhelmed by that. I don't know how to get there. I don't know how we're going to make it. I mean, there's an illustration that people say, say like, you know, if, uh, if you knew the amount of food you would have to eat in a whole year and it was all stacked in front of you, you would be so overwhelmed you just wouldn't eat. Now, I don't believe that. I would just sit down at the mountain of meatballs and be like, hey, let's dig in. You know what I mean? But, but like this is the, kind of the illustration. If you get how much has to happen, you, you, you'll be so overwhelmed by that you just won't go after it. Maybe you've had that kind of experience before. Matter of fact, maybe that experience has happened to you when you thought about church or you thought about following Jesus. You were like, if it's going to take that much, if that much of my life is going to change, that pastor guy up there talking about stories of radical life change, and if it's going to be all of that, I don't know if I can do all that. You see, you kind of say, you, know, you just put off going to church for another couple weeks or you put off following Jesus for another couple months and until the conversation reiterates in your mind again and somebody asks you again and, and finally you say, okay, I'll think about it a little bit more. Well, Jesus is going to help her. He's not going to leave her at that place where she's like, oh, water, confused, mind blown. Jesus, what is that all about? He's going to help move her along. So he, he introduces the conversation around the husband to reveal the fact that he knows more about what's going on than the fact that they're just sitting at the well and thinking about water. And so he has that whole back and forth dialogue that reveals to her, hey, I know you. Please don't miss this. Jesus, faithful Jew, Samaritan woman, should never talk. And Jesus says, not only am I willing to talk to you, I know you. Can you think about that with me for a minute? The one who seems so far away, so distant, so unapproachable, that's what culture had told them. He says, not only am I approachable, I'm present, and I know you. I know your mess. I know where you've been. I know how dirty it is. And I know how difficult this is going to be. But you remember what I told you about the water? If you'll trust me, if you'll trust me to give you the water that I have, 
It's going to change all that. It's going to change all that. So Jesus has an appointment. The gift of God is indeed meant for us to be received. You remember, he says to her, he says, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask for me to give it to you, and I would give it to you. You would receive it. The gift of God is meant to be received. Jesus has a divine appointment. God indeed meets both the physical and the spiritual needs of our reality. Yeah, we're talking about water that physically sustains us, but I'm also talking about a water that will forever sustain us. There's a physical and there's a spiritual element to this conversation, and Jesus and God meet those needs exclusively. And then the last thing I want to say to us this morning about this is, found at the end of what we were reading today. So if you got your Bibles, check this out with me in verse 20, 25 and 26. The woman says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he gets here, he will explain all of this to me, to all of us. That's the hope. That's what she put out there. I know that the, that the Jews believe in a Messiah who's going to come and and if that's real, whenever he gets here, he'll make sense of all this nonsense. I don't get it right now, but, but I mean, that Messiah someday will make sense of it. Now, check this. You've got to get this. Jesus looks at her. Y'all hear that? Jesus doesn't just talk to her. Jesus lets his eyes upon her. He looks at her. You can imagine the eyes of the Savior that pierce the soul, right? He's looking into the depths of who she is. He looks at her. He says, I. That's me. He actually says, I am. Where have you heard that before? Where have you heard, I am? Maybe you remember the story. Moses is on the mountaintop. He has the experience with God. He's so overjoyed with the experience that he had with God. He's like, this is the greatest thing ever. Woo! And he's getting ready to go down the mountain. He starts walking down the mountain. He realizes, I got to go tell everybody what, I, what just happened. Nobody's ever going to believe this story. So he runs back to the top of the mountain. He says, hey, God, I hope you're still here. God, um, I'm going to go down and talk to the people. And I'm going to tell them everything you said, but I don't know if they're going to believe me. So just give me something I can give them so that they'll believe me. And God chooses to say this. He says, when you get to the bottom, just tell them that I am. That's what God says. He says, just tell them I am. I am the one who sent you. I am he. I am God. I am the voice who's communicating this. I am. So he says, I am. And Moses walks down to the bottom of the mountain. And the Bible says that they could tell that he had been with God. And he says to them, I am. He points back to the top of the mountain. Well, Jesus is now sitting in front of the Samaritan woman, and he's looking eyes to eyes with her, and she has just confessed, I need someone to make sense of this, and someday that guy is going to come and do it. And he looks her in the eyes, and he says, I am. I am the one. I am ready. I am here. I am all you need. I am relevant to your story. I am the one who will satisfy that great thirst you have. I am. I am. 
Now, we stop the story there, and I hope it entices you to read a little further. But the story goes on. I'll give you a couple, a couple of quick notes. The story goes on where now she turns around from Jesus, and she runs into town, right? She runs into town. And she gets into town, and she starts pulling on everybody's shirt. She grabs this person and that person, that person, anybody who would listen. And she says, hey, everybody, I just met. I am. This Samaritan woman is testifying that she was just before the Messiah. She said, I met him. I met him. He knows all these things about me. It is absolutely nuts. And so not only does she come back to the well, but the stories, the Bible says that the people of town followed her to the well, and they all sat down, and Jesus was probably still leaning against the well because he was still a little tired, and they started to have a conversation. And this is the really cool part. Jesus and the disciples who would never walk through Samaria, not only did they walk into the center of town, not only did they experience the water at the well, the Bible says that he spent the weekend. He went and stayed there for two more days. Jesus and the disciples went into town, and they stayed there for two more days. Unheard of. But this can happen when we understand God has an appointment for us. He's going to set up moments for us that are right on time, on his time. That's going to happen for you. God's going to put you in a situation where you will be right on time. You will have an opportunity. And you might be thinking to yourself, if I knew I had to eat that much food in the whole year, I wouldn't eat at all because I'm overwhelmed by that. But God says, step back. Just trust this. The gift of God that he has for you is meant to be received. Would you step into the moment that God's setting up for you? Would you say yes to the invitation that God has in front of you? Would you say yes to the water that God wants to give you? Note, it might not be exactly what you're thinking it is. She thought saying yes to the water would mean she didn't have to go to the well anymore. But we who, follow, we who follow Jesus understand that when you say yes to the living water, you got to go to the well more often. Oh, I hope you heard that. When you say yes to the living water, you got to go to the well more often. When you taste what that water tastes like, you want to be at the well. You can't imagine anything else. Somebody? Anybody ever have that kind of water? Anybody ever, everybody, everybody, anybody ever taste what God has for them? If you have, you know that everything else falls a little bit short. Doesn't matter how nicely it's packaged or how pretty the bow, everything else is a little bit short of what God has for me. So you run back to the well. You go to the well more often. You hope that every time you go to the well, the experience of the well is even greater than the time before it. But you can't imagine anything greater than what you've experienced because that's how good it is to be in the presence of God. And we understand today that God meets both our physical and our spiritual. I hope somebody understood this in their life already. But if not, I hope you understand it's coming your way. God is the only one, the only one who can answer the physical needs that you have. That is not a shot at science or a shot at medicine. It's just to talk about who inspires those things. God is the only one who can answer the physical needs that you have. It doesn't matter what it is that you're going through. If you're battling with depression, yes, there's some medicine that will help. But I can tell you this, God is the one who's anointed that. 
God is the one who will answer that. God is the one who's inspired whoever has designed whatever it is that's going to help you. See, God is behind it. See, when my, when my animal gets sick, I take my animal to the vet. Amen? Amen, I take my animal to the vet. But I know, I know the one who has taught the vet how to do what the vet needs to do. Right? I know the one who has designed the answer. See, God is in the physical, but God, everything that God is about is from the spiritual. You understand that? You with me on that? See, see, God will meet both your physical needs, but he's also going to address that spiritual reality. So he says to the woman, I got some water that'll last forever, but by the way, can we talk about that physical thing you're in, that, that world you're living in with the husband and the husband and the husband and the husband? Not the husband's husband. That's a different story. The husband and the husband and the husband and the husband, right? Right, right? He got the physical and the spiritual. So he got, God is, is addressing both of those things. And then the last thing this morning was that God... For anybody, how, how many of you have been in Philly for longer than the last 15 years? You've been in Philly for at least 15 years, all right? So if, if, you, don't, if you haven't been in Philly for the last 15 years, you won't, you, 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 won't, you won't follow me on this one. But if you have been in Philly for more than 15 years, you'll understand this one. In Philly, we celebrated the answer. The answer. Anybody? Anybody got me? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys remember that? Got a couple basketball fans. There was this little short guy played basketball better than most of the big guys, and they called him the answer. The answer. And we celebrated the answer. We, oh, man, we endorsed the answer. We, he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I want to tell you the truth. It's Jesus who says I'm the answer. Right? She's at the well, and she's looking at him. She's like, Messiah, I'm waiting for him. And Jesus says, I'm the answer. I'm that guy. I have what you're looking for. Do you believe that about him? No, 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 no. Do you believe that about him? Not like, have you, not like have you heard it? Not like did you hear somebody preach and you felt inspired by I mean, do you believe it about him? Has, has, has it shaken your core? And here's the way you're going to answer the question. It's not by shouting out yes to me, though I like when people talk back when I preach. It's not about shouting out yes to me. Here's the way to know whether, you, whether your answer is yes or not. What did she do when she believed it? Come on. I told you about what she did when she believed it. She, she didn't just walk in. She wasn't dignified about it. Uh-uh, uh-uh. She left everything behind. She ran into town. Water jars still sitting there at the well. She ran into town. And she was unapologetic about trying to get everybody's attention because she had met the Messiah. You see, when you really experience God being right on time, when you really experience the fact that God is both in the spiritual and the, and the uh, physical, when you really experience and believe that God is the answer, you know what you do next? You run into town. You run into the place where everybody knows you, and they're going to they're gonna at least listen to a little bit of what you say, and they might look at you like you're crazy, but they're going to listen for a minute. And you testify. You testify to the fact that you have been with the answer. I got three questions I want to leave you with this morning as we prepare our hearts to come to the table. The first question is this. Has God satiated your life? Has he saturated your life? Has he, has he satisfied the longing of your life? Please don't confuse that to be the things that you want in life. Has he satisfied the true longing of your life? Second question is, are you present with him in spirit and truth? We didn't talk much about it this morning, but Jesus says that all those who worship, who truly worship me, will worship in spirit and truth. They'll be present before me physically, spiritually. They'll believe what I say, both 
practically and eternally. Are you worshiping Jesus? Spirit in spirit and truth. And then lastly, will you surrender to the answer? Again, I want to say to us this morning, there's no value in just yelling out yes. If indeed, unless, unless you're him, and then there's a lot of value in AJ doing it. <laughs> there's no value in just yelling out yes unless our witness is going to testify to that. Unless our actions are going to follow that. If you follow me on social media, you heard me, you, you saw that I posted this week. I said, don't let our, uh, our longing for the, oh, I said it so much better, so much more profound. No. <laughs> don't be so committed to doing good works that we miss the opportunity to testify to the goodness of God. Don't be so committed to putting God's work on display that we forget the obligation we have to go and tell somebody. See, those things have to go hand in hand. So she experienced the goodness of God. She was with Jesus. She didn't know she was going to have that appointment. She thought she was fetching water, but God had so much more for her in that moment. You believe that I'm the answer. And then her response, he ran into town and testified. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.